talkradio.nyc. Welcome to At Home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and owner of David Thiergartner Interiors right here in beautiful Manhattan. On tonight's show, Yesterday to Tomorrow, my guest tonight is gallery owner, interior designer, furniture designer, mid-century style expert, Oh, my God, the list goes on and on and on. Evan LaBelle. Evan established LaBelle Modern in New York City in 1998. His vision was to promote important vintage mid-century designs that focused on exceptional craftsmanship and materials with an emphasis on furniture that crossed over into art. Lobel Modern has since become a critical resource for designers, architects, and collectors around the world seeking high-end 20th century modern furniture, lighting, and decorative objects. Evans' research and scholarship is sought after by numerous projects and publications. He is the foremost expert on the works of American furniture designer Carl Springer, and coordinated a retrospective for one of my favorite furniture designers, the modernist designer Harvey Prober. I remember early on, and we were just talking about this, going back, what, 20 years or so, um, Evan had his shop on West 18th Street in Chelsea. He featured then in the windows, I think in particular, right, a magnificent collection of exuberant, modernist designs by an important 1950s glass artist, Anzulo Fuga. And um, it's been an upward road ever since. There's an awful lot to talk about. So let's get started. Come on to my house, my house. I'm going to give you candy. Come on to my house, my house. I'm going to give you apple, plum, and I forgot to Yesterday, a day from a different time, I was born into a modern age. After the We Like Ike era and just before the We Can Do Better optimism of a young president, it was post-everything. Post the war, post the industrial age, post the time when what we knew came from a time long before us, from the time before I was born in the 50s, yes, I will admit, seconds before it faded away, but still the point I was, uniquely positioned midway between yesterday and tomorrow. And tomorrow was upon us. A new day was just starting to be designed. Tomorrow looked modern, sleek, cool, clean, sophisticated, functional, colorful, and mod and curvy. Words that describe mid-century modern designs. Mid-century modern, oh, by the way, a term I want to discuss with Evan tonight. But mid-century modern architecture and interior design in a prosperous post-war America. In those days, modernism was lighter. It was without burden. It was without history. And it was without a yesterday. In all the too recent past, Americans had suffered through the Great Depression and World War II. The shift to tomorrow came unsurprisingly from the greatest generation after the war. 
They were, of course, modest, as we know, self-sacrificing, and they were ready to say goodbye to yesterday. They were ready to embrace the future, the new day, their very own tomorrow. And the society and the culture, we started to see things like the emergence of artists like Mark Rothko, Robert Rauschenberg, and Frank Stella, poetry by Jack Kerouac, and a genre that I know all too well called California architecture. America was prosperous, on the move, housing for young new families blanketed the countryside. They were all flat, one-story track houses, and it all became very much the norm. The amount of consumer advertising on the radio exploded. Magazines ran articles on the wonderful lifestyle changes that were going to make everybody's lives so much easier. House Beautiful ran complete issues on modernist architect Frank Lloyd Wright and movies like Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest caught the public's imagination and offered a rare glimpse into sophisticated modern interiors, complete with low tables and rich textiles, geometric wall art, and plenty of sleek modern furnishings. North by Northwest portrayed modern design in an elegant fashion. I posted a picture of the living room set on Instagram just so, so everybody can remember and then go home and watch the movie because it was as elegant as Cary Grant could ever have been. My sister, who I talked to before this, she would kill me if I didn't mention her favorite movie, which was, and I think still is, Pillow Talk with Doris Day and Rock Hudson. Pillow Talk showed that there was a romantic, easy, comfortable way to live a very carefree modern life. All of these changes, this new aesthetic, came from some very familiar names that so many of us still know decades later. We still know them today. The new modernist designers like German-American architect Mies van der Rohe, who gave us the iconic Barcelona chair. Charles and Ray Imes, who pioneered technology like molded plywood that would transcend the decades. George Nelson, the designer, the design director for Herman Miller, and you can't have a discussion about mid-century furniture and forget to, to mention Aero Saarinen, whose tulip chair, or what I still use today, the international pedestal table, are both timeless, timeless classics. Other names like Tommy Parsinger or Gio Ponti, one of my favorites, and the list goes on and on and on. This is, of course, all leading me into talking with Evan about other pedigree furniture designers, designers which Evan has researched, collected, sold, understood, has become a leading expert of designers like Carl Springer and Harvey Probert, just to name a couple. I'm anxious to hear and talk all about them. I have thought lately in preparing for this show that mid-century furniture has a more important place in interior design culture today than ever before. We are in the new tomorrow. We live in glass towers, smaller spaces. We live freer than ever before, and we are mobile, and we can live and move and do whatever we want. 
And funny enough, it seems to me as if mid-century modern, mid-century furniture from yesterday was designed for the millennial generation of today. And once again, we find ourselves, we find out that tomorrow is upon us. When we come back, my guest tonight is gallery owner, designer, expert, Evan Lobel. I'm David Thiergartner. This is At Home, and we'll be back in two minutes. listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Who do you want to connect with? Are you an entrepreneur or intrapreneur looking to build your following? Welcome to our show. Follow Me Friday with Joan and Priya. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern on talkradio.nyc. We're, We're your digital, digital connectors. connectors. Woo woo! What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. My guest tonight is gallery owner. I did this list already because it's so extensive. Gallery owner, design, interior designer, furniture designer. You're an expert on all things mid-century, right? Mid-century. Some things mid-century. <laughs> Let's not go crazy. <laughs> Let's not go crazy, right? You're a collector, of course. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. And uh, the, the descriptions go on and on. Anyway, mid-century. You're, you're, too, you're too kind. <laughs> It's true, though. That's a thing. Mid-century furniture aficionado. I love that word. Evan LaBelle. Evan, welcome to At Home. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. You know, we start every show with the same question to everybody, and it's uh, I'm really proud of it. It's a fascinating question. We get the greatest responses. But I ask each and every guest the same question. What is your definition of beauty, and what in specifically, specifically what is beautiful in your home? Um, well, I think that can take a couple different routes. Um, you know, there's aesthetic beauty, something that gives you pleasure. It's nice to look at, makes you feel good looking at it. There's spiritual beauty, right? Which comes from the inside. 
It cannot be in the most beautiful package. Some of the most beautiful people I know maybe aren't in the most aesthetically pleasing packages, but they're beautiful. Um, I mean, I'm a collector of, of what I would consider to be special things, so I, I, I am lucky enough to live with a lot of beautiful pieces. I have original pieces by Paul Evans, you know, a welded cabinet in my living room. I have a, a Philip and Kelvin Laverne uh, extension dining table in my mm-hmm. in my dining room, which they only made a few of them. I'm, I'm actually working on the the book on them with Kelvin Laverne. Um, we missed that part, but that's fascinating. <laughs> and, and, that and, by, and by the way, there's another Harvey Prober retrospective coming next year. I love Harvey, but I want to go back yeah. to Laverne because. Um, if you don't know it, if everybody doesn't know it, and we didn't post anything about it, but go instantly to the Google machine and look it up because their furniture is spectacular. Yeah, but I interrupted you, uh, so just, uh, please on, go forward. Yeah, on my website, actually, there's a section on 20th century designers, which gives a historical account of, of uh, Philip and Kelvin Laverne. They were father and son sculptors who were fascinated with historical civilizations, and they would make these incredible tables out of bronze and pewter and the part of the amazing process of their work was that they would bury them underground for months in order to achieve a special patina which they did on the bronze and it's fast i didn't know that That's yeah they, they actually called them the antiques of the future wow so you know they're they're really labor intensive very special and and they're certainly getting gaining a lot of traction and recognition on the collector market Unbelievable. That's quite a story right there. So yeah. see, aren't you glad I asked you the question? <laughs> what else do you have in your magnificent <laughs> home that you need to tell us about? Um, I have a Harvey Prober uh, cabinet in my bedroom. Oh. I have a is it painted and then is it is <clears throat> one side colored and the other side a wood finish? Because that's what I love so much about it. Well, th- this one's a little later. This one uh, probably from the early 70s. It's, it's in a burl wood and it has a lucite base. But it, it has the beautiful finished interior that he's known for with lacquer drawers and really like spectacular, uh, you know, parts to it. I just did a, de- a kitchen design based on on those cabinets. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, it was, it was really good. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I keep interrupting you. It's your question. You you tell us. No, about, about 10 years ago, um, I've always loved the work of Basquiat. Oh, me too. Yeah, so about, I grew up in New York, so I, as a as a young person, I would always try to like sneak off and see his shows in the East Village or wherever he was showing. And about, I don't know, maybe in 2006 or seven, I had the chance to buy, uh, it's called Portfolio One, which was a, a set of prints that was put out by his estate. Um, so I've lived with those for a long time. They're pretty special. Um, so you have Basquiat in your home? I, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the you know prints prints by the estate. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a party. <laughs> we need to come. Yeah. All of that is absolutely fantastic and exciting and wonderful. And um, everybody, I'm sure, would like to see it. You know, we've listed a lot of names. We've talked about a lot of designers. We've gone through lists. I think for professionals and for people in the trade, that's an easy list to go yeah. through. Right? It's mm-hmm. a part of us. But you know, for people listening, I think a lot of times they equate mid-century modern to Danish furniture. Mm -hmm. Um, I had an aunt and uncle who had quite an extensive Danish furniture collection. Or, you know, I think there's another reference to architecture called Palm Springs style, California style. I think a lot of people can conjure up those thoughts in their heads, right? Can you set the stage a little bit for our conversation tonight about how it goes beyond that? Sure. 
I, I think you can well you can separate mid-century modern as a as a style into a bunch of different categories, but just for simplicity's sake, let's break it into two. Okay. There's mass market mid-century modern, which uh, well-made furniture really designed for mass market consumption. So they designed it to be produced in quantity. In large quantities. Okay. And there's a lot of Danish modern. Uh, yeah. You know, they made those in large quantities and shipped them to the United, United States as well as you know using it in, in, in Europe. But a lot of it wound up here. And the, and then there's also you discussed the Eames and George Nelson and and um, there were lots of companies that that produced nice furniture, beautiful to look at, well made, but really geared towards uh, mass consumption. Okay. And then there's there's another there's another separate branch of mid-century modern, which were I call them the designers designers. These are people who are making more like art furniture, pieces that were very expensive to make in really fine materials that were not geared to the mass market. They were geared towards really interior designers and architects. Um, you have Edward Wormley, Harvey Prober, Tommy Parzinger, um, you Carl know, Springer. Carl Springer, which uh, we're going to get to. Yeah. yeah. So and the, and these guys, they 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 weren't trying to fill every home with their pieces. Their pieces were very very expensive. You know, Edward Wormley started designing in the 1930s. Dunbar originally produced reproduction. 19th century furniture. It was a very stodgy company. They they had very, very skilled cabinet makers there, but they weren't doing modern furniture. And Edward Wormley approached the owner and said, he was young, he, I think he was just out of design school, and said, I'd like to design a couple of modern pieces because, you know, the market could use uh, some modern pieces. You know, he was, I guess, what we would, you know, view now as, uh, as a little bit of a rebel. And uh, the owner of, of Dunbar humored him and asked him, you know, said, why don't you design a couple of chairs? We'll see what they do. And they sent him to some of their showrooms and they sold like crazy. So Edward Wormley, uh, you know, he, he's one of the people I consider a bridge from kind of stodgy old furniture towards modernism. Robes John Gibbings would be another one. Right, of course, yeah. Yeah, he, he came from England, I think, in 1929. Uh, and... He was all about clean lines, but fine furniture. He was inspired by ancient Grecian furniture. And he actually <laughs> published a book called Goodbye, Mr. Chippendale, which made a, was a mockery of American taste at the time, which exalt, you know, with exalted reproduction, hand-carved, you know, an European antique-inspired furniture, which was really just like trash. A lot of filigree and a, a lot, lot of just unnecessary... Right. Uh, Ornamentation, exactly yeah. heavy and and overwrought. Yeah, overwrought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's so interesting that you say that, and you you're talking about the 30s because I think, and one of the things that I want to clarify, and I probably didn't do it very well in the opening, is that we have this sense that it's mid-century, right? It's so, and I framed it after the war, right, and 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 then for um, Springer and everybody into the 70s, right? But if you think that. Mies van der Rohe created the Barcelona chair in 1929. Right. And you're talking about warmly in the 30s. There is this whole expression that's happening, but probably the mass public wasn't aware of it, right? It was probably, I mean, would you think that was, do you think it was more um, exclusive maybe perhaps? Well, you know, when, when I hear people talk about mid-century, I think <clears throat> the standard definition is like is 1935 to 1965 that's what i've been told is the mid-century i kind of go past those numbers because 
it's kind of arbitrary. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to talk about the terminology because it's it's a controversial term, mid-century, yeah, modern, mid-century furniture, because nobody can define it well enough, right? Which right. is what you and I are having trouble doing right now. Right, and you and you have you know Mies van der Rohe doing what he was doing in the twenties. He was kind of moving the football down the field. Then you had Edward Wormley designing chairs. You had Robes John Gibbings making his his views known publicly and then opening up his own showroom in the in the 1930s um you know i, I when edward wormley died i purchased a bunch of stuff out of his um estate some old photographs and he kept a book his, his favorite photographs at home with him till he died and one of the photographs is a chair i think from 1934 could be 35 it's a black and white fo- photo of a wood frame chair with a curved seat upholstered seat and in Wormley's handwriting next to it it says world's first foam rubber chair wow so if you think about that it's like the mid-1930s nobody the people had used horsehair nobody was using nobody was using rubber and this was considered like a a radical idea and at the time rubber was not rubber was expensive yeah (laughs) because yeah it was first it it was really invented yeah right so you have to kind of take everything in stride as it was happening it would be years until chairs were routinely made with rubber as the cushions but this was kind of the these were these were the visionaries kind of pushing their pushing their uh designs out there such a fascinating period of time because now and i'm this is just me because i love these different time frames but we're talking between world war one and the depression right um world war one finished in 1917 the depression was 1939 Right. Europe didn't do well during that period of time. Certainly Germany was suffering terribly, but America, we were prospering. Yeah. Right. And so it was an, in, it was an interesting time. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you don't see any magazine articles or newspaper articles about modern furniture in the 30s, though. I mean, I mean, I, I because I, I just don't think it was accepted into the mass market yet. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just to help everybody, what do you think maybe for you, what do you think other than maybe the Barcelona chair or the the pedestal, the international table from Saarinen, what do you think are some of the major iconic pieces that people can wrap their heads around? I mean, I think everybody is aware of the Eames chair in Ottoman. Okay. I mean, yes, that's, of course, that's a yeah. classic uh, modernist chair. And, and, and I think those kind of designs by the Eameses really did help to spur the popularity of modernism. They're easy to understand. They were... I mean, I don't find the chair very comfortable, <laughs> but apparently a lot of people do at the time. Uh, at yeah, the t- or, or, <laughs> or now currently. even still, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there, you know, there's, there's so many designs that are that are still popular. Um, oh yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, did your parents or your grandparents per se did they have modern furniture? Uh, you know, my parents were very blue collar. My dad was a construction worker. My mom was a secretary, and they they worked really hard. They'd save money, and then we'd go furniture shopping at I guess what the the, the today's equivalent would be like Ethan Allen. Yeah. Um, I grew up on Long Island in Great Neck, in a in a relatively not in very opulent area of Great Neck. Great Neck's a very wealthy suburb. Um, a, a lot of my friends were very wealthy, so I saw really fine furniture in their homes. But the furniture that I grew up with was not really fancy at all. My grandparents had reproduction furniture that, with all the seating covered in plastic. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Long Island or Queens or... It was Queens. Yeah, yeah. my grandparents... All in Queens. the family. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't want to get sweat on that fabric, yeah. on, that, on that polyester. You wouldn't want to sit in it on the <laughs> summertime. You know, so I came from furniture people. My grandparents and then my mom owned a furniture store 
in California, and um, we never had any modern furniture. Oh, really? No, it just it it wasn't, and so. That was since I was, my grandfather had been in the furniture business, I think, somebody correct me in my family, but I think since he was an adult in the 30s and the 40s, and that store went into 75, 70, oh, after graduation, actually 80, 82. So, um, but I don't remember any of these furniture makers in that store. It was all very traditional kind of stuff. I think it's good to kind of... um, you know, uh, know where we came from because I don't know if you if you've ever heard the stories, but so much of um, what I do with especially younger people is there'll be a reaction where I think it's perfect, right? And they go, "Oh no, my mother had that. Oh no, <laughs> yeah. my grandmother had yeah. that." Right? Then, then I don't want any part to do with that. I yeah. always find that to be interesting. I wouldn't know that as the interior designer until they tell us. Right? Yeah, I mean, there are so many homes that I get invited into where people are either moving or downsizing or they're they're redoing their homes, and you know, uh, there are people who are in their fifties or sixties, and and they have a spectacular collection of furniture. My first question is usually, "Don't your kids want this?" <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, some of the pieces are really just incredible, and you know, their response is, "You know, they grew up with this stuff. This is just not really what they want. It's just not important to them." Right. Yeah. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Which yeah. is good for me. Yeah, great for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you are. We. I talked a little bit about movies and stuff. Movies. Uh, I was like, "L.A. Kid." Movies were a big part of our childhood, but. You're so immense in the field. You know so much about the time frame and what was happening. We talked about the artist. And is there is there any sort of were you interested in movie sets or TV shows that offered you a glimpse into the modern era? You mean, am, am I interested? In, do I like them now, or did I like them when I was young? Like when you were, I just, I'm always fascinated <clears> by <throat> talented people because it's always been a part of who they are. So, like, you know, are you sitting on the sofa watching Bewitch and going, "Oh my God, that <laughs> dining room table is fantastic"? I mean, you know, you, that, that, that you, you I didn't w- have that. I was, you know, I, I was watching Star Wars. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> really, really, really okay. wanting a lightsaber. <laughs> Well, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes more sense, actually, doesn't it? I mean, it? To, yeah. be, to be totally honest... But I you did, didn't sneak in somewhere and, like, you know, watch Bewitched, right? No. I mean, I did watch Bewitched, like, <laughs> every day. Uh, I loved it, uh, but I didn't really... I mean, maybe on some subconscious level, I was internalizing the design of all those shows. But, you know, I didn't really become aware of my sense of style and what I really loved until I was, like, well into my 20s. Yeah. I was working in finance... And I was finally starting to make enough money to think about nicely furnishing an apartment. And I thought, wow, I I just really don't know what my style is. And I walked around um, the city for for months, actually trying to going into all different kinds of showrooms and stores. And and in those uh, days when we had so many (laughs) antique stores and and vintage stores and all kinds of different things that yeah, don't and, exist anymore. And I remember going into Paul Donzella's showroom. Oh, yeah. Who he's, you know, he's around now. He's one of the best dealers in the city. Um, and I remember being so in, just being taken by a lot of the, the things he had at that time. And he specialized in Robes John Givings, yeah. Edward Wormley, Harvey Prober, all those guys. And uh, we became fast friends. And I started collecting mid-century furniture. A lot of it, my original pieces came from Paul. Wow. Uh, I would borrow books from his library and, and read about these guys. And I was developing a real passion for it and collecting it kind of on my own. 
and I just fell in love with it. You know what I love so much about and just bringing that up, and I haven't thought about Paul or Donzel in so long, but it wasn't a fancy store, right? No. I mean, it, literally, it kind of wasn't. It was, it was furniture. Yeah, I mean, the, the furniture. There was stuff yeah. to look at, yeah. but he wasn't creating any marketing, you know, genius retailing merchandising concepts at all. You know, Paul, one of the things I love about Paul is Paul always does what he loves. And, and, and it shows. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So, and, 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 you know, he, he was just finding pieces that he loved, putting them out there in a showroom. And, you know, the, I, I, my, I always believe that if you do your best and take the, for the best first step you can, the universe takes the next step for you. And Paul was taking his best first steps. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't a negative comment. It was just no, a no, no, different course, from today. Of course, yeah. yeah. You know, you are acknowledged to be a Carl Swinger expert. So we're going to get back to that because we're going to take a break right now. Okay, You're listening to um, At Home, and we'll be back with Evan and Carl Springer in, and Bewitched, maybe, in two minutes. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We are talking to Evan LaBelle, mid-century modern style and furniture expert, not to mention gallery owner. We have posted some wonderful photos of rooms and furniture that Evan and I are discussing tonight. Take a look at Instagram for all of that. Um, let's mention some of the things. Take a look at Evan's website because it's important, uh, labellemodern.com. Um, and then Instagram, and yep. they're all the same moniker, aren't they? It's yep. all LaBelle Monitor, which is so easy and so great. So take a look Thank at you. all of that, um, because, uh, because you should. Um, please send your questions, because we're going to take some questions from everybody, to David at David Thurgarner Interiors, and just put in the subject line, at home, and we'll get to those um, when we come back after this little section. We're talking about Carl Springer. We can't have Evan LaBelle on the show and not talk about Carl Springer. So just let's do it. Let's okay. talk about him. So why, one, are you focused on him or you've been interested in him? Why have you focused on him? You've written about him. 
I think in in the trade terms, you are the expert of Carl Springer. One of them, yeah. So talk to us all about that. You know, I, I discovered Carl Springer in the in the early two thousands. I I purchased a small telephone table, a two tier table on little brass casters covered in black cobra, and I was I took it home because I was so obsessed with it. I mean, the seaming was perfect. The bottoms of it were covered with like Maury silk. The the just everything about it was was just like it was like a little jewel. And it truly is a little telephone table. Yeah. Just think that you know <laughs> you would have the table sitting next to you, you in know, the chair. It was meant for your little princess phone to yeah, sit on. Exactly. You know, yeah. it, it, back in the day, um, and I had purchased it from a gentleman who worked for Carl Springer. So I went, re- went, reached out to him, and I said, "Listen, this this is really incredible. I'd like to know more about him." And he wound up, he had a lot of historical information. He introduced me to the, the woman who ran his showroom for many years, the people who ran his production. And through them, I started accumulating a lot of information and historical material. And, and I, you know, was, became, you know, uh, enamored of him. I, his, his work is so incredible. What made him really unique was that he liked working in really luxurious and special materials. Yeah, like black cobra. Like black cobra. I mean, I'm right. seriously who that was a signature material for him. He liked working in goat skin. He liked working in python. He liked working in exotic woods, exotic metals. He 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 was really not interested at all in anything pedestrian. Hmm. If if it was you know chrome or for the most part anything that you kind of saw all over the marketplace, he was uninterested in. And he was very much inspired by French Art Deco. Okay. So. You know, you'll see a lot of his pieces. He wasn't shy about giving away the inspiration of his pieces. So you'll see, like he did chairs. He did a chair and a bench um, design, and they're called. It's called the JMF chair, the JMF bench, standing for Jean Michel Franck. Okay. So he 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 was very out there with with his where he was getting his inspiration, which I also really admired about him because so many designers try to well, hide it. Yeah, they hide it instead of saying, "Hey, listen, I love this guy's work. I've reinterpreted it." I, I see it differently I, than yeah. he did, yeah. And it's just, you know, it's just as valid. Um, and so I started uh, researching and putting together a library and, and carrying his pieces. And I remember when I first started showing them in the early 2000s, you know, he went out, Carl Springer started designing pieces in the late 60s. Uh, his story is noteworthy because it's so interesting. You know, he was raised in East Germany before, uh, you know, before he was born before World War II, okay. And his his dad his dad was you know fought fought for the Germans, and Carl Springer was always very embarrassed and, and bothered by that. Um, and he died. He got shot and was killed during the war. And then Carl and his family, right before they closed the after the war, right before they closed the East West border, they got on a train with just what they had on, went to the went to the West Side and became refugees. And it was there that he met a gentleman named Matteo who worked for the State Department and who was instrumental in building the arts and humanities in the west side of Germany, museums, opera houses. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, and he, the two of them became, uh, uh, you know, enmeshed together. And he wound up emigrating back to New York with Matteo. Now, when, in, in, the, in the early 2000s, when I started learning about Carl Springer, I asked all the people who worked for, you know, with or for Carl, if they, if any of them could give me Mateo's phone number, and and it turned out that he was in an el, uh, an old age home in California, and I spoke to him at length about his experience, uh, you know, bringing Carl over. How exciting! <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm part furniture dealer, part nerd, 
So, right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really like doing research. <laughs> so, and, you know, I, I wound up. Um, oh, my God, that is so fantastic. Yeah, it was really interesting. Did you go to California and just talk to him no, on the I, phone? I spoke yeah, to him yeah, on the phone. It was clear. It was, he, he was not well. Uh-huh. And it was clear that I, I, I think shortly after that he passed away. Oh, my goodness. God. So, a, anyway, Carl, Carl, Carl started doing window design in New York City for, for I think it was, it was either Bond with Teller or Lord and Teller. And inside, I think it was both, actually. <laughs> it yeah, could, yeah, it could yeah, have yeah. been. And inside that shop at the time was the only Hermes little shop. And the person who worked at Hermes was, was fascinated with Carl because Carl was very meticulous. He was very handsome, very meticulous, and, and, and they became friendly. And at the time, what was very popular were hostess books covered mm-hmm. in skins. So you you show up at a at a at a fancy dinner party in New York City, and on the table or on an easel would be, would be a book covered in skin. Okay, <coughs> with a seating chart of, of the table. Okay, wow. I mean, talk about chic. I'm telling you, you know, we need to go back to those Hermes days. book. Yeah, exactly. So and and they, and they were constantly selling out, and they needed more of them. So he suggested to Carl, "Why don't you try a bookbinding course?" So try, Carl went to a bookbinding course. He was incredible at it. He, he was like a natural. He could you know he would. Could, could he could bind materials to the to the cover of the book better than the teacher, God. and perfectly. And so he started working with objects, picture frames, waste paper baskets, other things like that. And he started with these you know these little telephone tables too. One of them wound up in Georgetown at a little boutique of this, this woman who sold pieces for him, and who wanders in there but the Duchess of Windsor. Oh my God! And she sees this little table covered in black cover, and she falls in love with it. She said, "Who is doing this piece? This is in the 1960s." They said, "Oh, this guy Carl Springer out of New York." She buys the piece. She flies to New York. She meets Carl. She sees all the pieces in his little, you know, in his little atelier covered in, and he had mirrors and frames. And she she bought a bunch of his pieces, and then went back home. And then all the other duchesses wanted his pieces, and a star was born. Wow. So that's kind of like the, the, the starting point for Carl Springer. You know, he went on in the 70s and the 80s to become one of the most important, most successful furniture designers with a huge showroom in New York, a, a big showroom in L.A., a showroom in Miami. At his apex of popularity, he opened a showroom in Tokyo. Um, he was represented by, I think Holly Hunt represented him. In How old would cities. he have been during this, in the 60s? Um, I guess if he was... In his thirties, yeah, maybe forties. Yeah, I mean, he died in ninety one, un- unfortunately. I mean, you know, it just—it's hard to hear that story, which is absolutely incredible. You and I were talking about potential and yeah. all of that. I mean, oh my God, all of that is right there. But that's a great American immigrant story. Incredible, and, you know, just an incredible story. Yeah. And you know, I, I I got to be friendly with the the guys who made his pieces, the artisans, and they all said the same thing. He was extremely kind. He he um, would always tell them, "Don't rush. If this needs to take an extra few weeks to finish, my clients will wait. They only want the best." And in in an interview with our, in Architectural Digest in in the seventies, I remember reading a quote. I don't remember it exactly, but he said that <clears throat> the most important thing for him was quality, and that he he never wanted to sell anything that wasn't his best effort. And I so like relate to that yeah. and appreciated yeah. it. Me too. That yeah. I thought. You know, I, I, at the time, really nobody was focused on him when I started work. You know, showing his pieces, and now he, you know, he's. I think he's one of the most collected mid-century. I call him mid-century. It's a little later, but one of the. It's a little later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's one of the most sought-after. Well, you're interested designers. both Prober and 
Springer are a little bit later in the mid-century curve, the well, mid-century not art. Not Prober. Right? Prober started designing in the 30s. But didn't <clears> he have his boutique store on 61st Street in the 60s? He did. Okay. He, and and he, I think he actually even designed into the 80s. So you're uh, right. He, uh, he, did, okay. he did definitely go after the mid-century period. But he started a bit earlier. Um, you know, and, and Harvey Prober is, believe it or not, credited with the invention of the sectional sofa. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. Something right? we, you know, we all have today. Yeah, everybody has it. Yeah, and they had both of them had a little bit of glam, and that I was sort of trying to push our way into yeah, the late sixties, sure. early seventies. A little disco inferno sort of is raging. I'm in all my about the disco head. inferno. I, I think we could do a whole show on Prober and then probably Springer, and maybe we'll want to think about that. But I'm so still interested in your whole arc and your everything. You know, so here you are, you're searching for the identification of your style, which a lot of people do. I mean, it's mm -hmm. one of the things about being an interior designer is helping people. Right. You want people to have what they enjoy, what they think is important, what they are drawn to, right? right? Do you think from your early days, your early years, how, could you just describe how your eye or your value of what's important has changed through those 20 some odd? Years. You know, my my eye and my taste has has changed dramatically. Um, the way tastes in general change. You know, when I first when I first started my first apartment, one of my first apartments in the West Village, before I really focused on what I loved in my sense of style, was full of Art Deco furniture. I mean, Art Deco. It, it, it was a, it was a small apartment. Art Deco in general, the pieces tend to be on the smaller scale. And it's easy to understand. All the pieces go together. They're black la lacquer and chrome. I mean, and black leather. Yeah. It's easy. Or bl black, blue velvet. It's I've very... never thought Art Deco mixed well either, by yeah. the way. So that's yeah. another question. But yeah. Right. So, you know, I started at that point. And then, you know, I feel like I, I kind of went down the curve with taste in general from the 30s to the 40s to the 50s to the 60s to the 70s. So, you know, I'm a child of the, of the, I was born in 64, so I'm a child of the 70s and the 80s. And I like glam. I, yeah, like, I yeah. like stuff that like kind of jumps out at you and it can be a little over the top. A little bit. But it's full of beauty. Yeah, a lot of, par lot of sparkle. <laughs> hey, right? I'm from Long Island. I like sparkle. <laughs> and then there's that. <laughs> we can't ignore that. <laughs> we have a bigger audience than just the New York tri-state area, so the, they'll need to know that as well. You know, we are running out of time incredibly fast, unfortunately, <laughs> and I have a list of things that I, I want to talk to you about. But we can't stop this conversation and not tell everybody that you have a little bit like Carl Springer taken some inspirations from him and created your own line of furniture. And so you need to tell everybody about it because it's pretty spectacular. Oh, and you. you have a point of view with that as well. <coughs> I mean, it, it is it is inspired, but it is you too. Right. Um, and why is that? Well, I, I one of the things I love about Carl Springer is that he really only worked with fine materials meticulously crafted. And I kind of wanted to follow in that vein so I designed a small line of furniture about seven or eight years ago, just a, a pair of bedside tables, some coffee tables, uh, you know, a, a cabinet, a few other pieces, more as art pieces. I, I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. The scale's different than Carl. The, the material, the combination of materials is different. Um, but, you know, they turned out really beautifully. I, I realized how hard it is. To do, to do work like that that's uncompromising without, 
you know, flaws. And it, it was it was a, it was a learning experience for me. I'm I'm in the process now of designing some new furniture that I'm going to introduce soon that's different than the old stuff. Your signature is a little bit of uh, what uh, might be easy to describe on the radio, but the starburst uh, yeah. wood veneer pattern, mm-hmm. right, against another material, right, right? which. To me, I think is pretty spectacular. So. Well, I, it's you know I, I'm going for like dramatic, but also luxurious. You know, uh, yeah, beautiful materials. Evan, I, I can't because <laughs> I feel like we've been here for two minutes, but uh, we've come to the end. We're going to take some questions, if you will, with us uh, when we come back in two minutes. Uh, this is at home on TalkRadio.nyc. <laughs> You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Evan, so let's take some questions from our listeners, okay? okay? So here's the first one. This is from Frank S. So you guys were talking that some of the modern furniture came from the 30s. Is mid-century furniture considered an antique yet? Or is it still vintage? How would you describe it? I mean, I, I use both of those terms to describe mid-century modern. I mean, something from the 30s to me is antique, and it's also vintage. You know, there's, there's a floating definition of antique, yeah. You know, and some people say it's more than 100 years old. I mean, that's the rule, I guess, I, right? That, yeah, but I mean, you know. But I mean, I mean, are you going to be a purist over it? 
I mean, it's definitely vintage. Whether it's I mean, but 1930, an original Barcelona chair is only is 90 years old right now. Right, and that's that's, and that's uh, kind of my point. Uh, you know, I, I now when I'm 90, I don't want to be thought of as antique, <laughs> so I'll take vintage. But uh, <laughs> if you're a Barcelona chair, that might be something else. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with that. So you don't have any real you you kind of consider it both whatever applies and the quality I guess of it of the craftsmanship and the age and the patina of it could maybe make the the difference I guess right yeah I mean for me I I would consider an original Barcelona chair an antique I mean for me I, it might be nine years old instead of a hundred but it's 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 something rare and important and and old yeah. 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 So, yeah. What does it matter? <laughs> right. Um, this is from Diana. Why do you think the style is still relevant today? You know, mid-century modern is about clean lines and beautiful materials. It's about nice woods and uh, e I would say easy living, something comfortable. It, it's not hard to live with. And I think almost all the design I see today, whether it's, you know, I'm, ta I'm talking about mass market design, like Crate and Barrel or... West Elm or yeah, CB2, any CB2, of that. CB2, any of them, which, you know, they're all very stylish. They're all looks, it all and looks they, very they nice. they have a point in the marketplace. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, I'm impressed by the designers who are designing pieces for them. Obviously you know, inspired. Yeah, I mean, I can see the inspiration of a lot yeah. of it comes from the guys that I, I sell. But yeah, exactly. it's still beautiful. And I, um, you know, for me, I see that furniture as having a really long lifespan. You know, people, I think young people especially, they don't want fussy. They don't want things that are hard to live with, that require a lot of maintenance and that are, you know, over, uh, let's use the word overwrought again. They want simple, clean, easy to live with. I, I don't know if I've ever told this story uh, at the show before, but I remember very, very clearly when it shifted for me. Um, did a huge 20,000 square foot house, new construction in Greenwich. Wow. Beautiful traditional, you know, mixed traditional or transitional, I guess, a lot of beautiful finishes. And my God, I mean, they couldn't have been installed a week, maybe two weeks, right? Because in those days, 10 years ago, we used to install in three or four days. Yeah. None of this sort of it shows up <laughs> and we put it in place stuff that kind of happens now a little bit. So it's all good. Get a crying telephone call from the wife and the housekeeper had put a huge flower arrangement in water in a gorgeous vase on the center hall table in the middle of the foyer, which was the most expensive piece of furniture that I had purchased for them, right? And put a big ring, ring in the yeah. middle of the furniture. And she just, I remember going, I don't want all this precious furniture. And I remember in my head thinking, wow, this is a moment sort of like the Miami moment that we talked about yeah. earlier. This is a moment that you have to, people don't want so much responsibility. But I think young people in particular. I, I'm talking about young yeah. people, right? But people who care about art or unique pieces and stuff, that's a whole nother sort of sector of the, of the interior design class. Yeah, I mean, I, I had an ex who, 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 he was younger than me, and I, I remember he, he, called, he called my home the museum. <laughs> and and you know I, I, because he was worried about because he didn't want to have to worry about putting down a glass he didn't uh, have to want to have to worry about you know uh, getting something dirty it and and it wasn't lost on me you know I had some I had same some, story yeah yeah, I, had yeah. Some, I, I was a little older than him and I like I like having nice things and I'm willing to take care of them because I so appreciate them but maybe in my twenties you know in my twenties I slept on a futon right so <laughs> you yeah. know. 
So, yeah, it's a little, yeah, yeah, very much so. A little hard to, to say that he was wrong in those meetings. No, he, right? wasn't, he wasn't wrong. Yeah, exactly. This is a great question. I love this question. This is from Tam. Tam? Tammy? Have you ever thought or been bothered by the fact that mid-century furniture is not a part of the White House? Um, no. I mean, I'm, I'm not at all. I mean, I, I don't really... I've seen glimpses of what Trump has in the White House, and I I, I, I wouldn't want anything that I sell associated with that. But I mean, so. it is a really good question because <laughs> so it, it has bothered me for a while because um, I just went down to the portrait gallery in Washington yeah. the other day, right? And the JFK portrait is colorful yeah. and exuberant, and everybody else is sort of stayed. And then, of course, the Obama portrait is colorful and exuberant. But I mean, the White House. It doesn't have to stay in the period. I mean, it's an exp- it's in the American house. It can. Why can't there be a Carl Springer piece in the middle of the Oval Office as the coffee table? Well, you know, if I was the president, there would be. Yeah. But uh, all I can say is that. You know, yeah, of there- course. Well, maybe he should run. <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's, there's probably a lot of there. I'm sure there are a lot of pieces in the White House with historical relevance. That deserve to be there. Yes, you know, de- I'm sure. you know, desks where famous letters were written and famous presidents sat in beds and such. Um, I, I know that there were um, very, very uh, chic designers who did the White House at different times. Like uh, I know JFK under his presidency, there was a a very. Uh, I, I remember seeing pictures of the White House then. It was incredibly chic. I think it was wasn't didn't Maison Janssen do the White House for him? No, I don't think yeah. so, but because you brought him up and I know exactly who it was, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, but I remember seeing pictures of it and it was beautiful. No. It, it wasn't it wasn't mid-century modern, but it was it was very chic. Yeah, it was. It was. And oh, damn, cuz I used to know that answer and now I don't. Yeah. But it's been 50 years, so <laughs> what the hell. Um, hey, Evan, where do you see mid-century modern intersect with postmodernism furniture? I mean, they're they're kind of different, uh, you know. I, I like so the, maybe not an intersection. Yeah, I mean, I, I see them as two different uh, kind of furniture types that both have longevity. Um, I feel like uh, you know, mid-century modern is, is pared down. It's it's very simple with clean lines and, and beautiful materials. I feel like postmodern is not that. It's different, uh, and I feel like there's a, there's a strong market for both of them. Right, so they don't have to intersect. Oh. One quick question before we go. Did European mid-century period parallel the United States, and how is it different? You know, I- I- in America, you had a, uh, a people, people like the Eameses working in, in uh, I'm talking about like more mass market mid-century, working um, with molded plywood, and you had people like Saarinen working with kind of novel materials, plastics and resins and metals and, 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 and stone. Uh, it, you know, in in Europe, you had Scandinavian, uh, which was mass produced, which was Danish yeah. modern, which also was was beautiful woods. But it, you know, in America, uh, in America, we were in the '60s. We were moving towards machines, and in Europe, they were still working with handcrafted. Well, that's a pretty good example, yeah. Evan. I can't possibly thank you enough. I think we should do it all over again and talk about more specific things. We didn't even get into the history of Prober. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So much. I mean, it's just been an incredible thrill for me to have you here. I want to thank everybody here at talkradio.nyc, Schoolhouse Number 6 Productions. I couldn't do it without you, and I wouldn't want to try Benjamin Keegan for my music. And remember to follow me on Instagram, 
at home with DTI. Take a look at my website and Evan's website, but mine is davidthiergartnerinterior.com. Join me next week. I'm going to talk to Dennis Rosenberg from Birch Family Services. This is a, a, a... This is very important to me. I'm deeply honored that Dennis is going to be on the show. But Birch Family Services and I have been in collaboration uh, for about a decade. Um, I'm a big supporter, and it's a wonderful organization of which they design. It's a whole educational system, but it's a residential uh, um, organization for adults with autism. And I've been lucky enough to be a part of building new homes with them. And it's been an absolutely incredible experience. And we're going to talk about that next week. And so um, I'm very thrilled by that. Um, Stay tuned for the Noreen Sumter Show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way. And until next week on the radio, remember the best designs for your life start at home. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, the Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. The best designs for your life start at home. I'm David Thiergartner, interior designer and host of At Home. Listen live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as we talk to the very best professionals about interior design and the design that's all around us right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.